This is Strength Agenda Radio, the podcast where the strong go to get smarter. Each episode features some of the most interesting athletes and coaches in the strength world, sharing their favorite stories, expertise, biggest mistakes, and training tips. And now, here's your host, Tom Soroka. Must be nice. If there's a phrase in the English language I hate more, I can't think of it. I've had countless people say this to me in passing on a variety of subjects. Must be nice to get paid to train. Must be nice to own a gym and not have to work. Must be nice to have your meat travel paid for. Must be nice to clean and jerk 180 kilos one month into training. I could go on, but I think you get the point. Here's what irritates me about this. When you look at someone else's success and comment, it must be nice, you're being condescending. You're deliberately trying to take that person down a notch. Why? Because it makes you feel better about your own mediocrity. There, I said it, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Should I be thick-skinned enough to handle it when someone says directly or indirectly to me, must be nice to get paid to travel for your competitions, or must be nice to have weightlifters who will pay you to travel to national meets? Yeah, I should be. But every now and again, it stings. Matt McWilliams talks about this phrase saying, no one ever says it must be nice with a genuine smile and heartfelt joy for your circumstances. It's always said with the intent to make you feel bad for your success and blessings and to drag you down to whatever depressed level the hearer finds himself. When someone says that to you, it's deflating. It makes your accomplishments feel like something you shouldn't brag about. But here's the thing, it is damn nice. It was damn nice to not have to worry about paying a travel bill when I competed for MDUSA. It was damn nice when I cashed my stipend check every month. It's damn nice to walk into my own gym, turn the lights on, and survey what I've built. It's damn nice to sign a new client, to take my team to meets, to celebrate a PR with an athlete, to celebrate my own wins. And I'm sure you can guess that. Imagine those feelings. Heck, that's why people make this quip, don't they? Because they imagine how I feel and want it too. But here's the thing. It was not nice to have to worry about traveling with the MDUSA team when you were close to a meet and flights were not booked. It was not nice to walk into every single meet and know if I had a bad day, my paycheck was getting cut. It was not nice the first year of my business when I didn't pay myself, but was spending 40 hours a week working in addition to my day job. Now, I don't say these things to elicit pity. I say these things because too often, especially in a world of highlight reels of social media, People see the effects and not the cause. You see my successes and not my failures. You see the number of people training in my gym, but you will never see my tax returns. You weren't there the day I quit my job and moved to California to train at Cal Strength with debt and student loans and no source of income. You probably don't know that my meat travels were self-funded until I moved to South Carolina to train at Muscle Driver. My successes and all those you see of others were earned. It is always a combination of hard work, talent, luck, preparation, and risk. I took risks that people flat out told me were stupid. When I left for California, someone who was familiar with Glenn's Glenn's training protocols said, boy, you're going to get chewed up and spit out. You're going to get road hard, probably hurt, and you're going to regret this. I went anyways, because there was a chance, the tiniest of chances, I could represent my country on a world stage. And if I was lucky enough, the biggest of the world stages at the Olympics. When I opened a gym whose main purpose was to train weightlifters, I risked my life savings, my ego, and my time. 
I could have gone a traditional route where I was, you know, salaried with benefits, where I could solely focus on my training, have the disposable income to travel to whatever meets I wanted to, and not have to look at a computer or a phone on the weekends. Instead, I put it all on the line and worked my ass off to create, deliver, and refine a product that I'm proud to ask people to pay me for. Think back to those defining moments in your life. The ones where you're incredibly proud of the work you've done and what you've built, whether it's training or family or your job. It's nice, right? And you know exactly what it took to get there. It took doing things that others wouldn't or couldn't. It took sacrifices. It took guts. It took a little stupidity. It doesn't always pay off, but when it does, man, is it sweet. So you're right. It is nice to have what I have. And I hope it's nice to have what you have too. And if you don't feel good about yourself, maybe instead of bringing someone else down a peg, you take a step up. You take a risk. You put yourself out there. You work a little harder for a little longer. You stop using words like can't and shouldn't and impossible. You calculate less and you dream more. And then you put your blinders on and dig into the hard work, the real work. It'll feel nice. I promise. Welcome, everybody. My guest at this time is my lovely wife, Beth. We've been getting a ton of questions about business. I recently spoke at a couple of symposiums for coaches and athletic directors. Um, We've been getting a ton of questions about business through different programs and stuff that we launched. And we thought it'd be a really good idea to take all those questions and put together an entire episode on the things that we've learned and the things that, you know, we've put together and that we can help you guys out with. So, Beth, say hi. Hi, guys. Nice to be here chatting with you all. So, for people who don't know, give just a little bit of background. Like, talk about your your education, um, what it's like wrangling me, like, what what, you, what, what your roles are with the business. Because a lot of people know, you know, me and what I do with the Strength Agenda. The people who are deal with the business directly know a lot about you, but there are a lot of people that don't know. So, just kind of sure. fill them in. Yeah, so I think the best way to explain what I do is uh, just saying that I'm I'm the behind-the-scenes muscle. Tom's the, the real muscle. Um, I handle a lot of the back-end work. I handle all the boring business crap that Tom doesn't really want to or um, in the beginning of our business didn't have a lot of experience doing. Uh, my background in life in general is in business, especially in marketing. I've worked in the marketing field for almost 11 years um, in kind of a salary capacity, I still have a full-time job, uh, in marketing. Uh, prior to that, I did a lot of freelancing, my backgrounds in writing and business. So I was able to, um, you know, in a time when Tom was just kind of, kind of getting into the weightlifting world and like influencers were becoming a thing. Um, you know, we saw an opportunity for him to essentially monetize his talent, his hard work, what he was doing. And so I kind of pushed him to explore the business side of being an athlete. Um, we knew he wanted to open a gym someday. So I kind of got him thinking about that, what it might look like, how he might do it. We figured what it might cost. And, um, you know, I kind of work on some spreadsheets and, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I just kind of do that back end stuff so he can do the front end dreaming. And then when it came time to open the gym, you know, um, he took front reign with actually working with athletes, the programming. Um, he does a lot of social media. I do the accounting and the website and the marketing and um, everything else, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. So, 
So for those that don't know, um, we're going to be talking about our business in particular. Um, for we're, we're the Strength Agenda. It started out originally as a website where we were just posting information. We started out with posting recipes. Um, this idea came about 2013 while we were sitting by the pool at our hotel in South or not hotel uh, apartment. <clears throat> in South Carolina. I wish it was like a hotel. I wish it, it was. It kind of was, actually. It was nice. Yeah, it was a nice hotel. <laughs> apartment. There I go again. Um, but we just came up with the idea of putting together a website where strength athletes could get information because there were a ton of websites out there that claimed they were there to inform athletes, but I just felt like they dropped the ball it's in terms of, you know, providing recipes for athletes. Yeah, blogging was a big thing. Yeah. Like, blogging in general was coming up, and, and this was before... Um, or this is the early stages. It's like, I had literally just got my first Instagram account. Yeah. I don't think I had, I don't, yeah, I don't think I had Instagram um, at that point. So, you know, that, that kind of thing was just up and coming, you know, blogging was really starting to be seen as a way to make an income. Um, and in those days, the only place that really even talked about nutrition for athletes and, you know, in, in the strength community anyway, was lift big, eat big. Yeah. Um, and they didn't do a lot of recipes. <clears throat> and when they did, it was like, hey, throw some eggs in with some oatmeal and put it in a microwave. Like it was, um, and not that we were doing anything gourmet, but I thought, you know, here, Tom and I are cooking to feed Tom so he can recover from the, what did you do? 12 sessions a week or nine, whatever. Nine, nine sessions Whatever. It was a lot of, a lot of weightlifting. Um. And I thought this has, this information has to be useful to people. And with Tom's background, with his, his degree, his education, I knew he could cover more of the recovery and the training side. Um, so that's where it started. And it just kind of spiraled it, yeah. from there. From there, we started adding training articles and mm -hmm. stuff on recovery. I started interviewing athletes. I got I, very early on. I was very fortunate to interview a bunch of cool athletes for the website and stuff like that. And then um, I started helping out at MDOSA and Penlay certifications. I got to travel with Glenn and do certifications, um, teaching people about the snatch and clean and jerk. I started coaching CrossFit classes and I was having people reach out to me saying, hey, would you be willing to write weightlifting programs for me? And it was just literally, I remember clear as day, I remember sitting on the couch one day and I looked at Beth, I said, hey, FYI, our PayPal is gonna have um, a couple of $50 you know, um, um, deposits in there from athletes. Um, I'm going to start writing programming for people. And she was like, okay, that's cool. Fine. And, and, and I'll say here, well, okay. Not to be a jerk, Tom, but I like to think that I have a lot of the good ideas. Yeah. Um, and I remember very clearly saying to you, like, I don't even know what you're doing. That's not going to work. Yeah. And <laughs> little did I know it was literally going to be the foundation for our business for the yeah. next six years. And so from there, I just started remote coaching people. And I remember people at MDUSA, a lot of the lifters, when I told them what we, I was going to be doing, they were just like, it's hard to do remote. You're not going to be able to give them proper feedback and this and that. And it just wasn't a good idea. And I went forward with it anyways. And in about a year, I had about 13 athletes that I was programming for. Um, and this is while I was still training full-time at MDUSA. So it was becoming a job. Um, fast forward, the website's still doing good. We're still putting, you know, content out there. We started doing YouTube videos. The remote athletes were growing. I think we had somewhere between 15 and 20, um, by like year two and three. And then I left MDUSA. Um, I had a bad performance. Like I had talked about before at one of uh, the American open final meets. Well, it wasn't the American open final then, but I had a bad performance and I was informed that my stipend was being let go. And I said, all right, well, then I'm done here because there was no reason for me to train and, and devote all my time to this facility and that, that company if I wasn't, you know, on stipend. Um, there, there, there was no, you know, there, there it was. It wasn't no, just about the money. Right. As there, you could imagine. But um, there were other things, but that was the main catalyst was when they said I had already contemplated leaving for a long time. But then that happened and I was like, this is the sign I need to get out of here. 
So I left, kind of went out on my own. I was helping Rudy Nielsen do his outlaw certifications and stuff like that. Um, Beth was still working, you know, full time uh, uh, in Charlotte where we were living. And then Beth lost her job. Um, she was let go from her position. And it was laid off. Thank you very much. Laid off. Sorry. Sorry. And we just decided that it was time to come back home to Chicago, where we're both from, and do our own thing. So we moved back to Chicago in June. June of 2015. June of 2015. And we started originally Big Shoulders CrossFit. Um, and the, we dumped our life savings into it. And the purpose behind Big Shoulders CrossFit was we wanted to create a strength and conditioning facility that you that utilized CrossFit as part of its one of its one of its arms was CrossFit. We wanted a weightlifting club. We wanted a kids program. Um, we also wanted a sports performance program. But so at the start, it was just the weightlifting team. And we had the CrossFit and the weightlifting team training side by side. We had a whole area dedicated. Those who you know know the Big Shoulders Barbell Club, you remember what that was like on those four little platforms in the corner of the gym. And from there, we started getting athletes that were seeking me out as a coach just because they wanted to do weightlifting. They, they had done weightlifting, whether they had trained at our CrossFit or another CrossFit, they had competed. They wanted to, you know, just do the weightlifting and the club continued to grow and grow. And it just got to the point where we outgrew the space that we were in. We had added a sports performance program. One of my lifters, Derek, was running it at the time. And we just needed our own space. Um, Brendan and I, who was my business partner at the time, just kind of had a mutual you know, breakup of sorts. And I sold my half of the CrossFit. And I took the weightlifting and the sports performance program and moved across the street and opened the program that we have now, which is the Strength Agenda. Um, and like Beth has mentioned you know, to a lot of people, I've mentioned a lot of people, if you would have told me four years ago that we'd have a business that was solely based on weightlifting. Well, uh, so actually... When we before we left the Carolinas, we knew a lot of people that had CrossFits. Yeah. Um, we knew a lot of people doing stuff, and uh, so we we called it our goodbye tour, and we kind of drove yeah. around the state of South and North Carolina, yep. and we interviewed our friends at gyms and, yeah. and and asked questions and what mistakes did you make and what wouldn't you do again and what would you do again and that kind of stuff. And we sat down with Travis Mash. To his credit, said to us at one point, "Why are you doing a general population gym? Right? Why not go <clears throat> hard?" Why not go all in on the strength side? Why not go yeah. in all on the weightlifting side? And, so Travis, you were right. You were right, but uh, I, we we I do think it was the right move for us, only because the market in Chicago, um, it, it's I would say it's pretty immature in terms of all things weightlifting. It was a little um, bit behind. There's, everybody there else. weren't a lot of professional quote unquote kind of setups around here. It was still very much in the infancy days of just a few people in the corners of CrossFits and. Um, yeah, weightlifting was not really. Uh, it, it there was a big undercurrent, I would say, but there weren't. Yes. Um, there weren't big teams. You know, there were a few facilities. Um, I mean, we have some incredible coaching talent in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, Mike Catone has a, a great program, and, and Roger Nielsen's here. Courtney Valerius, yeah, Doghouse. Like, there's a lot of good coaches now, but they just weren't as big as they, they weren't are. A, like super established programs, right? Yeah. And so, you know, we talked to, I know, uh, Barry Pepper, who runs CrossFit Port Royal Sound, talked to him. He was one of our people that we had interviewed, Steve Pinkerton. There are a lot of people that we interviewed. Travis Mash was the one, though, that told us, like, you need to do weightlifting. So Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we didn't. Um, I, so we, we grew our CrossFit with our business partner, um, and I think it gave us a lot of confidence, and it gave us an arena to make a lot of mistakes. And I'll say this, and this might sound kind of cocky, but... Um, 
I don't think it's that hard to make money in CrossFit. I don't. I think if you know what you're doing and you care about your people, yeah. I think you can open a CrossFit, and I think I think you can be profitable pretty early on. Um, and, you, you and I'll defend get... that to this day. It's certainly harder yes. these days. The market's coming closer to saturation, and and people who aren't running it like a business are getting weeded out. But it was great because it allowed us to really. Um, stretch our entrepreneurial chops, our business owner chops. And it allowed us... I was just going to say, without the fear of paying our bills. I mean, certainly we weren't profitable month one. We were profitable pretty early on in that business. Month three or four, I think, right? It might have been two or three. It was was early on. Um, Whereas with a weightlifting gym, at that point, had we just opened up shop as a weightlifting gym? I mean, I think we we had two barbell club athletes the first month we opened... (laughs) Chelsea, in the CrossFit. Chelsea and Kyle. You know, then it was three, four, six, eight. And we were getting more and more of our athletes from our CrossFit programs. Right. Not, we weren't getting sought out until probably six in. to yeah, ten yeah. months in. Yeah. So I think had we just opened a weightlifting gym, I think that would have been incredibly stressful. I think we would have made a lot more, of mistakes. Yeah. And more of our choices would have been motivated by <clears throat> money, which I think is one of, one of the questions we're going to come to. So we'll, we'll right. touch more on that. But you know, it's a, it's a business. You have to make money. But when you let money be your motivating factor, um, it changes your business. It changes the culture of it. And that that's not the type of business we run. And I think um, Tom's kind of giving you background just because we want to tell you that there's a billion ways to, to run a weightlifting business. Just yeah. like there's a million ways to train weightlifting. And where we're coming from is that we run a business where we care about our people first and the money second. Because I know that Tom's incredibly good at what he does and the money will be there. Like, it's just where we are in the market right now, people will pay for weightlifting coaching. And, um, yeah, we just kind of operate a little bit by the golden rule. We try to do right by people. Um, We actively turn lifters away that aren't, quote unquote, a good fit for us, right? Like, but we don't turn them away and just say, bye. We try to actually find them another facility to go If their schedule doesn't work with our hours, we refer them to people that do. If they have a bit of a different background, they have some weird injuries that Tom's not comfortable with, or they just have some goals that don't quite jive with what we're doing. We are more than, I mean, like we said, there's so many qualified coaches in Chicago. We are happy to send people to other programs and we we do because Mm -hmm. it's very important to us to work with the right people. Um, and that's, I don't mean that to sound snobby. Like we, we have people whose goals are full range of motion snatches up yeah. to, you know, I want to be an international competitor. Right. It's not about quote unquote talent or achievements. It's, it's, we like people that are there to show up and to work and are part of the community. We don't like people that just show up and put their headphones on and don't interact. That's not the people we like to work with. Um, so when we talk about stuff like this, on one end, um, we're a little lucky in the regard that we can be choosy like that, mm-hmm. but we set ourselves up that way to start. We right. set ourselves up by opening this gym debt-free, so we weren't worried about anything beyond paying the rent at first. Um, we both work. Um, Tom teaches part-time during the day, and I have a full-time job, and so that's allowed us to not push the gym to be super profitable from the beginning um, in a way that we would start running things that are contrary to our yeah, mission just it, for the money. Yeah, it didn't. Al- it allowed us to not make mm-hmm. take drastic measures with the gym, and that was the one thing we learned it was yeah. like early on. It's like we just have to let things grow naturally, yeah, orga- yeah. organically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was, I guess that's the word the business guru people say. Yeah. So that's where we're at with the gym. And so I think no matter what kind you want to open, um, 
I think this is going to be worth a listen, but especially if you want to run a gym that's more organic and natural, that works with certain people, is a little bit more, I would say, I don't know, fun. Yeah. You know? It's fun. I, there, there's no doubt about it that yeah. every day I don't... I, then I no, think you'll get a lot out of this. Yeah. There's, there's never a day that I show up to the gym and I'm like, oh, I have to go into the gym today. Like, I am thoroughly, you know, and genuinely excited every day I show up at the gym to work with people. If there's five people that come in or there's 20 people that come in, it's it's just, it's a good, we've created a good situation for ourselves. So now we want to answer some of these questions that we've been getting. And hopefully if this is something you're either in the process of doing right now or you're interested in getting going, these questions help you out. So Beth, what's one of the... Or you just like the behind the scenes perspective. Yeah, there's so that too. I have five questions that have come into the radio inbox. Um, I don't know if you have any others we'll add. So yeah, we'll, I have some we'll, on my phone. We'll just, we'll kind of, yeah, I'll, I'll throw the first one out. We'll go from there. Sure. All right. So the first question came to us from a listener who asked, what made you realize you were ready to open a gym? So I have my answer. I don't um, know if you want to go first or you want me to go what you think. Uh, I've had the opportunity to read these questions. Yeah. Ahead of time. Go ahead. Go not, ahead. Let me so. hear you first and then I'll embellish. Okay. So uh, what I would say, what made us realize we were ready to open a gym? I don't. I don't think there was ever a day where I woke up to Tom and I looked at him and I was like, we're ready. Today's the day. Like, write <laughs> yeah. the check. I mean, it, that's just not how it works. And, there, um, there are still days I sit there and I go, uh... Did we do we, this? Yeah, what are, are we... Are you actually paying us? Yeah, like, what are we doing? Yeah. 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 Um, so, anyway, what... Uh, like we said earlier in the introduction, we, we knew opening a gym was something Tom wanted. Um, we had... We kind of built a, a long-term loose plan, and that was sort of... Um, you know, in 2020, like Tom was going to wait lift until 2020 and, and see where he could take that. And then after that, we would probably move home and we would open a gym. So we kind of knew, um, yeah, we kind of knew we started saving our pennies for that. Uh, but you know, like most things, like the opportunity came up and, and we took it. Yeah. Um, so I think my point is, like, you can do all the research in the world. You can listen to podcasts and talk to fellow owners like we did. Um, but at the end of the day, you just need to strap on some Vince McMahon cojones. And I love that wrestling reference. You've ruined me I'm for life, sorry. actually. Um, I mean, I just think, like, you literally need to stand up and say, well, sh- well shit, I can do it better than that guy next door yeah. or the guy That's, across town. Yep. Um, you need to believe that you have something worth offering and you just need to jump. Entrepreneurship, um, I really feel like is about taking action first and refining second. Uh, to this day, we launch new programs and new products and like this podcast before we're ready. Like I didn't know how to podcast, but no. you, you build your, what is that? You jump and build your wings on the way down. Um, you know, we might beta test things at a discount or we might just put things out there and hope for the best. And don't get me wrong, like we study, we observe, we yeah. research, we do we do a ton of work, probably more than other people. Um, there are a lot more reckless entrepreneurs out there, and that works for them. But for sure. we like, I think, educated recklessness. Yes. I think is a good term. Um, but I think one of the things we've learned too is is entrepreneurship is about constantly leveling up. Yeah. Um, we're, we would always used to say, well, when we're at this point. Yeah. Oh God, things are going to be so much better. Right. Or, you know, when the gym's pulling in this amount of money a month or when this, and you get there and it's just like, Oh crap, we have so much more to learn. Like you, yeah. there's never a point where you can step back and go, I am satisfied. At least what I find the best entrepreneurs don't. Um, so I, I mean, I'm not saying to open a gym without having ever competed or put all your equipment on a credit card. I mean, learn your craft, Save your pennies, pay attention to the market, 
Um, but don't get paralyzed with fear or worry. Uh, if this is something burning in your gut, go get it. Like, what's the worst that can happen? You'll either figure it out or you'll lose the money and time you put in. Uh, and you'll take what you've learned and turn into something else. I, I, yeah. I tell it to them all the time. Like, what's the worst case scenario? And for us, that was losing that money we put in and maybe getting delayed a year or two. Yeah. Um, and our other stuff in life that we wanted to get accomplished. Yeah. Um, for me, like Beth had already mentioned, I always wanted to have a gym. I mean, from Beth can tell you from the time like we started dating and I was like working out at like a Valley's Total Fitness. Like I always just I've always had the I forgot about that membership. Yeah, that was doesn't even exist anymore. Um, Back. But like even back then, I always had the mentality is I would watch somebody do something and I was like, how can I do that better? Um, Whether it was in competition or in, in, in education, whatever. And so I went through school and it was just one of those things like we didn't have a strength coach at my college. I had a guy that took me under his wing. He taught me the West Side system. Um, Terry Smith, who's the head athletic trainer at Aurora University. I learned a ton from there. I probably learned more from Terry, who wasn't an instructor. I think I took like a, a, I think I took like a gen ed class with him, like an eight week course or something like that was the only time he was ever an actual instructor. But I probably learned more from him about training and working with athletes and stuff like that than I did in a lot of my other courses. And so that just kind of got me thinking, like he got me involved in the Highland games. He got me involved in all this other stuff. So I always wanted a gym. I just thought, I never thought it was going to be a weightlifting, you know, centric gym. He had always convinced me to try to get involved in weightlifting. And so, you know, I, I had an opportunity to continue to train for the Olympics in track and field. I ended up not getting to do that. So what did I do? I literally did every position that was available in the fitness realm. I was a sales manager at an LA fitness selling memberships. That was my very first job out of college. I hated it. Beth, I remember coming home every day complaining oh, that I, I would have, you know, a personal training session 30 minutes long with a family of five that ranged from dad was 50 something to the youngest kid was nine. And I was getting paid. It was like seven seventy five because yeah. they were like, Oh, you get over $15 an hour, but they like, had 30 like, minute sessions. And so anyways, and they went and scheduled them back to right. back. Yeah. Oh. And they'd show up 10 minutes late and it was just, it was horrible. But that was my very first job you know, training people. I also did um, part-time personal training at a studio, essentially. A very, like a high-end high soccer end, mom. Yeah, I, I worked with like soccer moms and dudes that just did not want to get pushed. Um, it was a weird situation, but I learned a lot from there. I learned what I didn't want to do. Um, and then I coached at North Central College. Um, I was a, I was the throws coach for a Division three program. They're a powerhouse in track and field. I'm actually one of my weightlifters now, Chelsea. She was one of the first athletes I coached in that crew. And it got to the point where I started working with those athletes and writing training programs based on what I did in college and what Terry taught me. And I'm like, I'm kind of good at this. So then I was like, I want to be a strength coach. So I you know, took the necessary steps and started studying for my CSCS. North Central was going to open a strength and conditioning department and hire me there. And then, as you all know, the story about Glenn, um, I just you know, took it and you know, lit it on fire and threw it away because I was going to go train for the Olympics in weightlifting. And again, it was just one of those things I would see people doing stuff. I was constantly watching Dave Spitz. And I know, I remember telling Beth, you know, because she was still living here in Chicago at the time I was at Cal Strength. I remember multiple times telling her what Dave is doing, I want to do eventually. Mm-hmm. Like it was just. It, that actually became the exact model for that, our current that, that, It really is. Program, yeah. But. It was just one of those things where just how Dave was running Cal Strength. And, you know, for those who don't know, the lifters are, run the sports performance program. Like Dave is the boss. He runs or the, they, they did when you were there. They did when I was there. I don't know how if they're doing it now, but like the weightlifters, that's how you made your money. You trained during the team training time, and then you were on the floor in the afternoons when all the kids were in there training for their high school sports. And it was a great business model, and I loved it. So that's what we copied everything after. 
but it was just that constant, like Beth said, that mindset of leveling up. I would watch somebody do something and I'd be like, I can do that better. Like for crying out loud, I, to get myself in the, the mindset, I have the Sonic the Hedgehog, um, little rings. If you ever played Sega Genesis, when he collects all the rings and he, you know, levels up or whatever, that's my freaking, uh, uh Mess, or my little noise when people text, text me. Text yeah. Home. Like, it's just one of those things. Like, it just became a mentality of, I can do this better. How can I do it better? And like Beth said, you know, there was never a point where I was just like, I'm ready to run a gym. It was, I think I know what I'm doing. Let's see if this works kind of a deal. And that's how we've approached everything. Like Beth said, it's educated recklessness. We would, I would see somebody doing something. I would say, how can I put my own spin on it and do it better? Then I would say, how does this apply to our business? Is this something we can do? And if it was, I do it. And if I didn't, you know, if, if it didn't work out, it fail and we move on to the next project. So yeah, you've got to be a little egotistical. In a business little bit. Yeah. Because when you're telling people, these are my prices, this is what I charge. What you're saying is pay me because I'm offering this and I'm good at it. Right. And in order to be a really good salesperson, and, and I'm not talking about like the slimy car sales people of the world type deals. But, um, like sales, if you do it correctly, especially in this fitness world, it's such a, it's, it's a relationship. It's such a, this is what I need. Cool. Here's what I can offer you. Cool. Like, when do I start? And when you're saying, this is what I can offer you to reach your goals it's because you believe in yourself. You believe in what you've built. You believe in what you're offering. And, um, you, you just, you have to, to a certain degree, think that you're better than the guy next door. Otherwise, what are you asking? Why are you asking people to pay you? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in the coaching realm. It's one thing if your business is just equipment access and all you're selling is literally some rubbered floor space and illegal plates. But when you're selling coaching, when you're selling any sort of a service-based business, you, you, you have to believe that what you're offering is the best out there. And if it's not, you have to figure out what's going to make you better and, and sell that. You want to take the next one? I'll, I'll take the next one. So the next question we had is, how do you make money? Um, and we kind of broke this down in very carefully. Very carefully. Yeah, right. That's a dumb joke. See, Tom, you're rubbing off on me. Uh, corny jokes, baby. Um, so we are talking about you know the varying business models. Now, this is what we do. This this is pretty much all the the little facets that we are. Well, it, why don't you talk about what we do, and I'll kind of cover okay, all the yeah. options we don't do that. Yeah. Other people. So at the, at the strength agenda, our number one thing is our weightlifting programming. Um, and that is broken down into three tiers. We have our remote program, which is lifters who don't live in the state. They live, you know, uh, we have people out in Virginia, up in Canada, down in Texas. Like we have people all over the country that follow our training program. Um, then we have our semi-remote athletes. These are people that might live like in the next state over, you know, Michigan, Iowa, uh, Indiana, or they live like a little bit further away in Illinois, Peoria, they live in the city and it's hard to come out to the gym during the week. So they come out on the weekends and train with us. And then we have our HQ group or our unlimited group and they train every day at the gym. Now, all three of these groups, we have a Facebook page for these groups and they all follow the same program. Um, we have, you know, our, our either our master's template or our weightlifting template, depending on where you're at competitively. And then, you know, and then we have other people at the gym that like, they, they want to do a version of our weightlifting, but they don't need to because they're just trying to be healthier. Yeah. So, so membership. That's membership. Kind yeah. of how you label that chunk of revenue. Yeah. And so that is our biggest, you know, provider or our, our biggest provider of income. Um, we have like other options that we do. Like we offer a nutrition component for our, our lifters and non-lifters. Um, we also have uh, platforms available on Train Heroic, which are just our basic programs. These are like our, our, our low cost, uh, our lower cost options, like kind of entry level stuff. We have um, four different templates that we offer on there. It's just the program. 
Um, you just, you pay, you know, I think it's like 25 bucks a month and you get just the programming, no coaching, no nothing like that. It's just a template for you to follow. And we've actually gotten a lot of athletes upgrade to our main programming from those. So that was the whole purpose of those in particular. Um, we don't, we, we, we started out doing a couple of clinics, workshops, stuff like that, but we don't do a ton of that anymore. This podcast is another great extension of our business. We use this to kind of interview athletes of all different, you know, backgrounds and ability levels and stuff like that and try to get that information out to as many people as possible. Um, and then like the, the latest thing that we started um, uh, adding in was our team affiliation. Um, we have a couple gyms now that we affiliate. We write the programming for their barbell club. We're, we're teaching them how to start and run a successful barbell club within their business. Um, we have three or four gyms on there right now. Um, they're CrossFits or their facilities that, you know, they work with a bunch of different programs. They have a different, a bunch of different offerings and weightlifting is just something they're lagging in. So they, you know, have employed us. We provide them with a program. Um, we have a, you know, we, we work with the coaches and kind of give them advice, tips, things like that, that work yeah. for us. We really just, we, I know how much time it takes Tom to program and, and he's so good at it. And I thought, how much time is it going to take somebody who's not as confident, not as comfortable, not as right. well-versed at all the different methodologies that Tom knows. And so, and as business owners, at the end of the day, your time has a cost. Right. So we thought, what price can we put on this programming that is worth it for a gym owner to say, you know what, you do the programming, I'll execute it, but this is, I mean, how many hours a week, for those of you who are out there coaching, how many hours a week are you spending in spreadsheets, right? right? It's it's probably more than two, I yeah. would venture to say, for, I would, I think it's probably a lot more for most people. And so what, I mean, what's that, what's that dollar amount worth, you know? And, and so that's, we, it's just a natural extension. Here's something we do really well. We know we do really well. And here's something, if you're not doing this well, if your time's more valuable than this dollar amount we're charging, then come join our program. And then the last thing that we do is our sports performance program, our sport development um, program. And Mike Zella, who used to train on the MDUSA, he runs that program. And that's our program for our athletes, our middle school, high school, college age athletes that are trying to, you know, up their game to the next level. They come in and they work out with Mike and he completely runs that program. That was probably the first time I ever completely delegated something to somebody else. Like it was something I am passionate about because I personally am a strength and conditioning coach for a couple of our local teams, but in terms of running those athletes on top of the weightlifters, it was going to be too much for me. So when Mike said, I, I can do this, I was like, here you go. So that's those are the two main in-house things that we do. At our gym, you come in any day during the week. Those are the two programs that are going to be running. And then everything else is just kind of extensions that we've added on as we've gone. And the demand was there for so what about other streams of income? You and I were talking about this last night. Yeah, I mean, so there's a bunch. And I probably won't even be able to name all the rest because um, – you know, I, I like to stay up on the trends, but there's a lot that still escapes me, you know, relatively speaking. Yeah. I feel like we've been doing this for a long time, but, you know, we've only been physical gym owners for about three years and yeah. we've been business owners in general for about six. Um, so anyway, one uh, one thing we do a little of is retail. We don't, I don't have a full on, you see all the, the crosses called pro shops. I hate that term. It's, it's honestly, people don't call your shit a pro shop. Like just don't, it's people don't understand what that means they just want your t-shirts and your kill cliffs like it's in the pro shop no okay sorry so we do out front. yeah <laughs> it's in the ikea furniture out front yeah. i feel like that's 90 percent of every cross right. crossfit um and we we did it too we totally had it on ikea yeah. furniture so I'm, I'm not saying that to make fun of i'm it's all self-deprecating love ikea anyway um so retail is certainly an option not only apparel um that you're selling to your team 
uh, but you can also sell it to outside. I would say, you know, unless you really have a big following or a big name, don't kid yourself into thinking people are going to buy shirts that have your name on it if they're not one of your athletes. People don't care as much about your business as you do. That's actually, that's like probably the best piece of business advice ever. But right. anyway, um, you can do retail, you can do ready to drink protein shakes. You can work with supplement companies and, and get a percentage of sales. You can stock, uh, the fit aids and the kill cliffs and the cocoa fives and, um, the think jerkies and the, what's the big, the quest, RX bars yeah, and quest, RX bars, right. Quest all the bars. food you can do that. Um, that's not really, that's not really anything we've, we've done a lot with the weightlifting team. Um, we did sell pop tarts, which I think is kind of funny, but, uh, yeah, some people are mad we don't do that anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's not where our focus is. You know, our focus is just on really delivering a good experience when people are in the door and they're here to train. And um, It was really hard to sell parents on a sports performance package when we had boxes of Pop-Tarts sitting in our front office area. Yeah. Anyway, retail concern. I mean, I know there's some CrossFits out there that are making 30% of their overall gross revenue off of um, their, their pro shop. I hate saying that word now. Um, but it, it, I mean, like I said, supplement sales is a big one there, but, um, that's just where we've chosen to put our energy. Um, group fitness. I mean, you can have a crossfit with the barbell club. You can have a boot camp with the barbell club. Uh, you can do what we're doing with sports performance and have a barbell club, right? Anything that's, you know, targeting bigger populations, uh, can be a great way to have some revenue coming in to supplement a barbell club. Uh, I would say be careful. I don't think people should open uh, up fitness facilities with the intention of having one program cover the expenses of another. Yes. You know, if you're going to run a barbell club, make sure you're running it profitably on its side. Yeah. But having a group fitness component uh, can really soften that. Yeah, you know, you when a little bit of a cushion. Yeah, it's just just kind of sharing those overhead expenses helps. Um, sponsorships. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we certainly work with a few partners. Um but we do that more for the benefit of our athletes. We right. do that, um, yep. you know, we do that to offer them discounts and, and yeah. things like that. We don't do it to, to get a cut of the money. We don't. Right. Yeah, we have we have three companies in particular that we work with. And the main reason we started working with them is because of our remote athletes. So they have access to equipment and stuff like that, that we, you know, can get them, you know, different pricing and stuff like that for that they can outfit their own gym. So they don't have to pay a gym membership on top of our memberships and stuff like that. So, but there are some facilities that have really good sponsorship programs. I know mash has, you know, um, his, you know, smash Cal strength, all them, they have their, their sponsorship programs that they get, they have a company that comes in and pays them a certain amount for advertising and stuff like that because of their following that they have. Yeah. And, and not only that, I think it's, it's definitely a much more of a thing you see in nonprofits, right? Like if you're going to be a nonprofit, you'll, you'll probably still make money from retail and apparel sales. You'll, you'll make money in terms of membership. I, I think there's very few programs out there that don't have dues. Um, I mean, maybe hassle free, but I know they have a donation component. Right. Um, and what is that performance initiatives? Harry's program out in Georgia. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so you rely on sponsorships from businesses to make your money. But I, I, I think um, if you're a nonprofit, right, you're getting sponsorships to support and really float the business. Right. If you're a for-profit business, sponsorships really only come into play when you're leveraging your media power, essentially, to get them more people, more um, purchasers. Um Oh, personal training. That's a, that's a big one. That's hot these days. I think, you know, the market CrossFit exploded because I think the market was ready for like a good grungy 
group fitness option. Um, And now you're seeing businesses that realize personal training, one-on-one, very small group things, that's that's how you make a lot of money fast. And so the market's swinging back towards personal training. And if that's something you're good at, if that's something you want to go on, go for it. it, it, it can be lucrative. I mean, there's a price tag, a high price tag on it for a reason. It's it's a time suck and it's a lot of work and you really have to work relationships and you have to work hard to land clients because they're more higher dollar. But um, that's a good one. I, I think, I can't think of any, any other, I'm sure there, oh, right, I guess running meets and events. Yeah. Um, that's not really anything we've done for profit. Of, yeah. Um, we just kind of do them when we want to do them for I don't know what you just said, but I'm guessing it's not worth repeating. It's not worth Yeah, you're, be nice, Tom. All right. Um, yeah, but there are people out there. I, I think uh, uh, Travis Cooper and Bartles and Brews, you know, he puts yeah. on a really cool event that kind of travels around the country to different breweries. Yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing he does not do that out of the kindness of his heart. I'm guessing he does that for profit. For sure. Um, and, and I think that's needed, you know. Like, if you, again, like, I like to look at other industries, other sports, and, and get inspiration. So, you look at CrossFit, you look at gymnastics, you look at swim, you know, how many of those invitationals and meets and the Wadapaloozas and Granite Games of the world, they're, they're there to generate income for businesses and deliver great experience. So that's certainly an option. Um, right. I, I, yeah, I can't come up with any other revenue streams or at least those are probably the major ones. Yeah, those are the, those are the ones that are worth your time. So you've got options. I say, you know, to start, pick a few um Maybe start with one, get really good at it, and then and then venture out from there. Yeah. You can always add more, but it's it's a lot harder to to specialize in, in like ten different areas. Um. All right. So my turn for the next question. Yeah. Ooh, this one's gonna be for me. I think this is more marketing. No. <laughs> so someone said, "How do you get people in the door?" Um. You know what? I'm gonna. That's really hard because right now Tom has a statue of a. Is he a medieval knight or some sort of weird... Rooster? Yeah, Rooster, Rooster. is Rooster a... Literally, he has like a four-foot medieval soldier statue sitting in our lobby, and I can't imagine how many parents we've actually scared away with that thing. But, um, okay, proverbial door. How do we get people in the proverbial door? Um, oh, wait, I guess I should finish the rest of this person's email. It says, how do you get people in the door? I know how to coach weightlifting, but I'm worried that if I build it, they won't come. Oh, that's true. Uh, I don't know much about marketing, so where do I even start? Oof. Um, I we could we could do a, um, we yeah, could literally a start thing. a whole podcast series on marketing and fitness. But um, so, so I mean, at the start, obviously, the biggest thing that we used to help market the fact that I was a weightlifting coach was my successes as a weightlifter at the very beginning. But I think it's safe to say, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. By the time we moved back to Chicago. It was kind of 50-50 if I would talk to somebody and they knew that I was a competitor weight, competitive weightlifter. Because by that point, I had, wasn't really competitive anymore. And I think I had done nationals. I didn't do the American Open final that year. I sat it out. And, you know, that was, you know, by by January, February. Like, it had been six, seven months since I had done a national competition. So people just weren't. Yeah. And, and the way, you know, the way social media and the world of weightlifting had been, you know, it was yeah. really on the, on the upswing. Yeah. Um, under the tenure of Phil Andrews and, uh, you know, it, and you left in mid 2015, I think you did, you did nationals in, uh, like the summer of 2015 did, and, yeah. and that might've been it. And so you're leading up to the Olympics, it's new quad. Yeah. I mean, I would say you, you people get, you get left behind. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine the majority of the people out here are not anyone who was ranking top 
top five, top three, top one right, at national right. meets. Um, so, but here's the thing, Tom, and and I think you know what this took us a long time to figure out yeah. because we were Im- immersed in, in this world of John North and Donnie Shankel and Glenn Penley, and people that had quote unquote star power in yes. the world. You know, they could put something out there and sell it yep. because they had that following. Um, but at the end of the day, unless you're in that 0.1%, people aren't buying what you've done. People are buying what you can do for them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um, a marketing thing that I teach people when we do marketing writing is features versus benefits, right? If I said to you, Tom, you should really buy this super duper awesome widget. It has 10 speeds and it has four USB ports and it sits on your desktop, right? We're talking about the features. That's not very exciting. But if I said to you, Tom, you should buy the super duper awesome widget 2.0 because it's going to cut the time that you are working in spreadsheets in half and it's going to automatically charge your phone without being connected and it's going to save you money and time, whatever. If you're talking about the benefits and how it's actually going to change your life, that's a much, much more appealing way to sell a product. Period. Um, you know, people don't buy iPhones because of the whatever gigabyte core processor crap. They yeah. they buy iPhones because it it gives you your time back. It simplifies your life. It makes things easier. And so I think people don't buy your coaching and your programming because you had some national things or because you sat through some workshops on weekends and you've learned some things. People are buying what you're selling because you're helping them reach their goals getting better i mean in theory they're getting better yeah um i mean the other thing so like in terms of marketing for us a couple things that we used that kind of helped recruit people so to speak so the first year we really didn't put a ton of money into recruiting people like we didn't do a ton of ads on Facebook. we don't we 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 still don't we don't we don't do a lot um, i mean i don't i think we've probably spent $200 $200 yeah. in six years on Facebook ads yeah. for the team. Like we, it, that's just not a, a good way. Our biggest service to grow. or our biggest marketing thing was word of mouth. We mm-hmm. would go like, especially once we had a physical barbell club, we'd start showing up to competitions and it still happens to this day. Every time we show up to a competition, we'll get anywhere from like 10 to 15 new leads. Now they obviously we don't turn, you know, get them all in the door or whatever, but that interest is there. They see us competing. They know that we're local and they're like, Hey, I want to do that. Or we'll get athletes that will see some of our athletes at one meet. And then the next meet they're, you know, way better than they were at the last time they saw them, stuff like that. And then our social media, the Instagram in particular is really big in terms of people being able to get a little bit of a, a snapshot of the progress. Some lifters make, like we post a lot of the PRs, We'll post a lot of tutorials. We'll post a lot of, you know, infographics and stuff like that to kind of give you, you know, little tidbits of information that we offer to our athletes all the time and stuff like that. And those are probably our two biggest things. I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong. No, you're right. Uh, Yeah. And then our athletes just telling other people, hey, I see you're struggling. You should give Tom a call. Like word of mouth referral stuff. That's the number one driver. Um, I mean, yeah, like social media, it's helped us build a presence. We've certainly gotten lifters that way. Yeah. By and large, it's word of mouth and referral. And I, I think that's the thing, um, you know, in this business of coaching, if we're talking about the type of weightlifting team we're running, it, it's, a, it's, it's very relationship-based. And people want recommendations. They don't just want to jump into something they're seeing on the internet. I don't think the market's quite mature enough. I don't think people out there that are doing paid advertising in the weightlifting world 
um, they haven't cracked that code. No. And it'll come eventually where I think word of mouth and referrals won't be the number one driver of weightlifting right, team right. sales. But right now, that's 100% what it is. Yeah. Um, so you, you did a great job answering, like, tactically, how do we literally get people in the door? I mean, that's it. Um, I would say we do. it's a little bit of networking, too. It's yeah. a little bit of shake. I call it, that, like, shaking hands and kissing babies, getting yeah. out into the community, going to high school and college football games and um, finding some of these parents in the crowd and going, man, yeah. your kid's great. Like, you know how great they could be if they had big, right. bigger legs. Like, it's a little bit of that. That's that's a that's a super long-term strategy and not slow. Um, yeah. I would do that, but don't. That is... That's something that's like a savings bond that's going to pay off in 25 years. Thanks, right. Grandma, for the $50. Yeah. Um, so in terms of where do you start, okay, I'm just going to – I'm going to say three, but we'll just see how many things this turns into. One, um, get on social media. You don't have to be everywhere. Pick a channel that you're good at. Pick a channel that, that helps you, yeah. whether it's Facebook or social, um, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. Pick one channel and show up consistently and constantly. Two, I cannot even tell you the number of people. You're going to roll your eyes and be like, duh. Um, but the number of people that don't have a way to actually sign up or contact people for their yes. services. Like, it blows my mind. I saw somebody the other day posting like, hey, we're looking for a coach. You want to come work with us? You know, blah, blah, blah. And they talk all there's about no, their program. There was nowhere to contact There them. was nowhere. It wasn't, hey, shoot me an email. It wasn't send me a message. It wasn't. To hear, an yeah, nothing. Like, so have an email address have a landing page you can use services have like business cards on hand i have business cards like all over my dang house my truck in my book bag stuff like that like just have a way for people to get a hold of you yeah in this day and age of services like you know you can do a website on squarespace blah 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 all those kind of easy places to get started when you get a little bit more into it you can get into software like click funnels um or uh, lead pages membership management software we use a software called push press to manage our, our billing and things yeah. like that it generates like contact forms and landing pages you can do that stuff really easily um but just have something and you know people slide in tom's dms every now and again but uh it's not it, that's not that's not a sustainable way to run a business like just have a freaking contact page um that yeah that's what I'm, I'm pretty much just gonna leave it there but just Get on some social media, get a contact page, and then just start making yourself visible. Go to meets, cheer people on, get involved in your community, yeah. volunteer as a ref at local meets. Yeah. Like just Volunteers be out there. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's go. Um, you want to take the next question? All right. Um, we kind of talked a little bit about this already, um, but it's what's one piece of advice you would give somebody just starting out? I'm hoping to open a weightlifting gym in the next year or so. Um, we talked about it like two questions ago, but we can kind of elaborate a little bit more. Just biggest thing is stick to what you're good at. Don't try to do a bunch of things at once. Like if there is something about you that it just separates you from the pack, stick to it, focus on it, build that up at the start, and then you can expand your horizon. Like we did not start the strength agenda right off the bat with a podcast, with Train Horlick, with you know, our nutrition program, all that stuff. We started with the core, which was working with athletes in our gym and online through Team Saw and our sports development program. And then from there, we added the Train Heroic platform. You can give me the timeline and correct me on that one or not. But I think we added Train Heroic next. That was our next thing, our next big thing. Uh, we, we, we did about a year ago, same time as we launched the podcast. Yeah, so like the, the July, August to Yeah, and then the podcast came out, 
you know, we started doing the podcast. Um, we actually tried launching a couple of ebooks. Um, they did all right. Like, weren't anything. Yeah, great. we did those in like 2013. Yeah, those were like yeah. early on. And, and then. Not you know, our thing. And then, you know, we added on the nutrition component. That's our most recent addition that we've added. And it's helped some of our athletes. Like, and again, they're all just things that like you add them when the demand is there and that when you're confident enough that you know what you're doing. But at the start, focus on what you're, what, what separates you from everybody else. Yeah. And that's going to help drive your business. That's going to help, you know, get your foot in the door in these different opportunities. And it's going to give you the chance to add on down the road. That's good. Um, so my piece of, of advice to someone. So, you know, we can sit here and talk about that and talk about having passion and taking that leap and whatever. You know, I don't think there's going to be any lack of people in this world or industry telling you to get into weightlifting because you love it and yada yada. But you know what people aren't talking about? People aren't talking about the money. They aren't talking about the logistics. Weightlifting as an industry is still really catching up to how to run profitable businesses. I think honestly, it's yeah. somebody told me not that long ago, uh, it's a poor man's sport. I think it was. Um, I think there's a lot more money in it now. Um, but I think a lot of the businesses are still pretty immature in how they're looking at things, how they're pricing things. And um, the businesses that are out there, and I think a lot of them come from CrossFit roots, to be yes. fair. Um, so anyway, I want to talk a little bit about just the financial side of it because I think people don't. So yeah. this isn't like my number one tip, but one thing like, and, and again, personal preference, but like, if you can open a gym debt-free, open a gym debt-free. I cannot begin to tell you what a difference that made for us yeah. because, um, and it, it was not easy. It was not easy. <laughs> we, I mean, we literally sold our house in South Carolina and I'm, I'm not kidding. The day after that house closed, we took that check and we deposited into the business bank account. Yep. We wiped out the rest of our personal savings. Uh, we lived with my parents the first year we were back in Chicago, and we we put every dime we had. In this. Oh, I um, love I love my in laws. Um, we we put every dime we had in this business so that we weren't in, in the business was not in debt. Um, and I think that helped because I said this a little bit earlier. Like it just we didn't have to make choices. Um, because we were under duress yeah. to pay credit card statements or uh, equipment loans. And I think that that's, again, what really helped us grow organically. That helped us. We could step back and say, how can we help people first and make money second? Because if you're helping people and you're making a difference, you, the money will come. It, it just, if you're in the right place, um, you're, you're chasing your passion, you're doing what you're good at, you're working with people you enjoy, you're making a difference, the money will come second. And yeah, being able to do that. I mean, it, it was not easy. Like I remember in the not so distant past, you know, kind of wondering when our deposits from the memberships at Bill in the first were going to clear and when I could mail that rent check so that, you know, yeah. it was received and cashed in a timely fashion, but not before those deposits hit. Like right. we, we, we had a juggle. It was not easy to get all the rent paid and, and Mike paid, Mike paid and, you know. and the utilities kept on and, and all that. And, um, so I'm, I'm not sitting here from a place of a trust fund or anything, but just having a little bit of cash in the bank to start just knowing, you know, what, this is what we have and this is what we're going to work with equipment wise. And as we grow, we'll invest in more that made all the difference. And I think it really helped. We have a really high retention rate too. our athletes yeah. that are with us. They stay with us. And I, I think part of that's because they feel a lot of pride. They remember, they remember the days of the shitty platforms and the <laughs> shitty barbells yeah. and 
you know, they, they some, remember some, yeah. the day the, the reverse, oh no, we had the reverse harbor, but they remember the day that the real GHD showed up and they remember, yeah. you know, and they, they remember the day you showed up with a lot more plates and like, it yeah. was like Christmas and some of the athletes have helped us move like once or twice. Like yeah. we, we remodeled the original space at Big Shoulders. A lot of our, not a lot. We have like two or three athletes that are still at the gym that were there for that. And then they were also there when we moved from one facility to another. And they're going to be, those same athletes, I guarantee it will be around when we move to our next yeah. space. Like they, we just, there's that buy-in. Like there's that, like Beth said, that sense of pride that these athletes had that they have seen this grow. I've had, I have athletes that remember in the very, very beginning of how we did remote programming. Um, like I have athletes I have been working with since 2014 and like they have seen every evolution of the business for the most part. And it just gives you that sense of buy-in, that pride that you're part of this machine that just keeps growing and evolving. And that has helped our retention a ton too. Yeah. And I mean, and obviously we designed this, right? We, we, we knew I had a full-time job to have some income coming in. Um, we didn't actually know Tom was going to have his teaching gig when we, when we did this, but that ended up being a great thing for us to have that income coming in. Um, so I would say like, if you're in a similar spot, if you can do this and keep your day job part time, or you can figure out, you can sweet talk your wife, um, to help you or your husband try not to be gender offensive over here. Um, if you can, you know, if they believe in you and they're, they're willing to help you kind of get off on the right foot and, and you can handle uh, a reduction in income and you want to go hardcore in the paint. Well, um, hard, hard in the paint. Sorry. Um, hard in the paint while, you know, they have a full-time job. Um, I, I think that's a, yeah, I, I personally just feel like that's the best way to grow the business. But if you're not in that situation, if, if you're a single income person, and, um, and this is going to be it, then you've got to figure out a different way to run your business and, and good luck to you. And there are many people talking about it, but that's not our experience. So we can't speak on that. So I think we are coming to our final question. Um, so the question I have is what's the biggest mistake you've seen fitness businesses make? Oh, oh, oh. You want to go or you want me to? Um, uh, I could talk on this for my, hours. Mine's, mine's mean. You go first. Maybe I can. Maybe I can refine my. I can put my filter on for a second okay. while you're talking. Um, mine's mean. Biggest mistake. Okay. Go. Um. Okay. I'm gonna break the rules. I I can't just answer with just one because there are two, um, that I think can equally tank your business. Uh, one. One's a quick death, and the other's a slow, painful burn. Um. So the quickest way to kill your business is to not know how to run a business, and. More importantly, refuse to admit it. Uh, if you don't know how to handle the accounting for your business, get some help. If you don't know how to clean a bathroom, ask your mom to teach you. Ask your dad to teach you. Watch some YouTube hire videos. Hire a cleaning service. I mean, I think every gym owner should know how to clean the toilets and do it. There's a little bit of a humility there. But yeah, there is. But yeah, prioritize it. Hire it out. Like, know your strong suits. Know your weak sides. Um, you, you have to do that because if you have it gross facility if people don't like using your toilet they will find reasons to leave your business i don't care if you're the best coach in the state if you have gross toilets people will eventually leave you they they just will um if you're not good at staying organized responding to messages like you either need to figure out a system fast or you need to figure out someone that can help you whether you're i really don't like membership trades for service um and, and there's a bunch we can get into that and we won't if you want to know why email me but um 
if you're just starting out, that can be a thing where you say to one of your athletes, like, hey, can you help me monitor the inbox? Hey, can you help me respond to these messages? Like, do not let your leads fall through the cracks because you will never sign that client back up if they feel like you've forgotten about them and you don't care about them. Um, I just think so many people get in this business because they love fitness. They love weightlifting. They love people and getting people strong, but they don't know what a P&L is. They don't know an LLC from an F-score. Like they don't know how to price your services. Like most people just, oh, who's my local competitor? I'm going to go $10 less. Like that's not a way to run a business. Like I know it's funny, but it's not. Like people are doing I, that. I'm just, I'm just laughing because it's true. I mean, how many, <sighs> how many times have we seen a new business open, whether it's our area or another area? And you can totally see that they're just trying to just undercut their competitors just yeah. there. And yeah. It's like, that's going to come back to bite you in the butt. I know it can feel incredibly strange and hard to put a price tag on your passion, but like, I think Tom and I have had this, we had a hard time, hard talk once. And I, I said, like, you ha- you have to treat this like a business. Otherwise, it's a really expensive hobby and I'm tired of paying for it. I mean, at the end of the day, you got bills to pay too. Yeah. Like, and people can't understand yeah. that. I heard a really great quote that, like, uh, I don't got I'm going to butcher the tar out of it. But it was one of those things where it was just like, your, like, true friends are going to pay more than you mm. require. You know, and like those, those, those fake friends, those outliers, they're going to want everything for free. Like if you got people asking you for stuff for free, like they're not really, they don't really believe in what you're doing or they don't really like, there's no invested interest, but like your true friends, like we have, you know, Amber Shepard for crying out loud. If we, how many times we put out a product or something like that and she's bought it, there's no reason for her to buy it. She's got her own club, stuff like that. And it's just. Don't be afraid to charge what you're worth. Don't yeah. be afraid to get what you're worth. Whole, we could do a whole other podcast on pricing. Just yeah. the, the point is you just, um, if you're not good at the business stuff, if you don't understand it, find someone to help you. Like if you go to, I think it's score.gov or score.org, just it's capital, the word score capitalized. It's, um, it's a small business service where business people offer free mentoring. It's done at local yeah. libraries and colleges. Like talk to people, get a good account, get a freaking good accountant, get a good lawyer to drop your initial paperwork and yeah. to have on hand. You, That's your dream team right there. You need a great accountant, tax accountant. Um, you need a great lawyer. I would say uh, a good cleaning service eventually and uh, a good bookkeeper. And if you're not good at marketing, somebody to help you with your marketing and, and your media. Um, so anyway, that was my mistake number one. And I think, Dang. I'm sorry, but this, there's two and I just can't ignore the second one. And I, I think it's one that's incredibly hard to fix. It's slower to realize, but it's the lack of leadership. Um, or more importantly, the inability to be a good leader. Yeah. Uh, you have to have rapport with your athletes. They need to trust you. You should work hard at building relationships. That's the foundation of a good coaching business. But you cannot be one of your athletes. Didn't you say something last week, Tom? It's like people don't pay you oh to train God. next yeah. to them. Or I had a, I had an athlete ask pretty much why I wasn't, why I never worked out with the athletes, and I just pretty much told him I was like, you don't pay me to be my training partner, and that that's one that's one of mine. But go ahead, continue with yours. Um. Yeah, I mean, I just think that that's one point of it. Like, you can't be best friends with athletes. You have to be friends. Like, you have to have good friendships and and or good relationships. But you know, I think if you're good friends if you're best friends with your athletes you're gonna run into trouble like you've got to find that balance um i i think if you are lazy like going back to the dirty bathrooms like if you don't care if you are constantly forgetful if you if people are asking you to to change their membership plan or um they want a certain t-shirt and they're just like you're you're like oh i totally forgot about that i'll do i'll do that today i'll do that today and it's like two weeks later, you, 
what you're demonstrating is you don't care about people. And whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter. People feel like you don't care when you don't hold your word. Um, so I think you just have to demonstrate through your actions consistently and constantly that you're a person of integrity, that you work hard for your athletes, that you're fair and responsible. Um, you know, you may not know everything. Like I know Tom has said over and over, he doesn't, he doesn't know anything, but damned if he's not going to find out, you know, damned if he's not going to learn. He, I have no problem asking people, Hey, how do I do this? Yeah. How did you do this? Yeah. Just like, don't bullshit your athletes. If you don't, if if they're asking you to help them figure out a a weight cut and you don't know, don't, don't either figure it, like learn research, but more importantly, like refer them out to other professionals that do know, because you're only hurting your athletes. You're only hurting your reputation in the long run. Right. You know, I've just, just don't bullshit them. Like I have seen so many gyms close because gym owners and coaches don't act like leaders. Like, and that changes your culture. Uh, and when you have a toxic culture, that is the hardest thing to turn around. I think you can all think back to when you were on like sports teams in high school or junior high or whatever. And you remember that when people, certain people didn't want to be there and just people were not, what is that? Like your oars were not rowing in the same direction. If that's your, if that's your business, if that's your culture, you, you're, you're going to churn clients like crazy. And that's going to be the hardest thing to overcome. You can only get so many new clients in before your reputation overtakes like a freaking blob and you will never get out from underneath that. So pay attention, be a good leader. Um, you cannot hire a good leader. Like you just have to be one. And if you're not a good leader, either get better or coach at someone else's gym. Yeah. All right. What's uh, your biggest mistake you see? I got two. One's piggybacking. Ooh, both doing two. Okay. Well, one when you brought it up and I'm piggybacking off of it is the, um, the athlete that thinks that like the coaching is going to just, you know, be a source of income for you. Um, I stand by this statement. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to get too far into it, but you cannot be a good coach and a good athlete. You need to pick one or the other and focus on it. Um, yes, I compete and stuff like that, but it's not my main gig. I do it to keep myself busy, essentially, like just to kind of just something for me to train for. But my number one priority is coaching. Um, that's why I don't compete in weightlifting anymore because it's no fair for my athletes to go to a meet, get them ready for the meet, and be like, okay, you're on your own. It's time to focus on me. Um, there's a few people who do it well, but there I are think, some, but I think the majority of people cannot, and I, and, a large majority of them cannot. Yeah, and, I, and, and you might be kidding yourself, but I stand by what I say. I don't think it's very easy to do. Like I, like I had said before, I have athletes that'll ask me about this and that, like people aren't paying me for, to be my training partner. That's just yeah. not how this works. Um, be a coach. If you want to run a business, you want to be, you know, the coach and stuff like that, do it. Right. And I mean, what happens if you go to a national meet and there's four platforms and you're on one, your athletes on the other, right? So, right? Like. The coach with integrity is going to give yeah. up their shot to go coach their athlete. Right. But, like, then you've just trained. You've just done this whole training cycle for what? Nothing? Right. Like, it's a waste for you. It's a waste for your athletes. It yeah. just makes it hard. Um, and then the other thing um, is diluting your product just to get people in the door. I know we've talked about this a lot and stuff like that. That's a good one. But, like, you see people with, like, Groupons or these challenges and stuff like that. That just, they give a low entry option. Or they'll give discounts to like couples or stuff like that just to get more people in the door. Two week free trial. Two, yeah, yeah. They'll get people who are, you know, have some potential and say, just come train with me for free, but yeah. don't tell anyone. Right, do right. not do that. So, like, we offer two days Barbell 101 for free, but it's only two days and it just make I, I, people don't have to sign on after they do it. I just want to make sure they're moving correctly and that they get time to work with me. Once I get them in the door, we'll probably get them on the team or in some form or fashion. 
But the biggest thing I see is like people will just do things just to inflate their numbers. And that's not natural. That's not organic growth. Like, yes, on paper, it looks like you're super profitable. But when like the Groupon thing, for instance, a lot of those people aren't going to stick around once it comes time to have to pay full price because like, those Groupon things aren't forever. So it goes back to the whole thing when we're talking about charging what you're worth and making sure that like you explain to people like this, you're this is the service you're getting for what you're paying and then deliver on that service because if you're not going to deliver. They're going to leave no matter what, whether you gave them a low entry cost you know, or a low entry of, you know, cost, right? No, yeah, low entry of low cost, cost of entry. There, that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you give them that or you just don't deliver on a service that you're paying for. So those are my two big things. Don't dilute yeah. your service just to get people in the door. And if you're going, like Beth said, if you're going to be the leader, you're going to be the business person, you're going to be the coach, be it. Don't try yeah. to, you know, be everybody's friend and stuff like that because it's just going to come back and bite you in the butt. What you were saying with the Groupons and the six-week challenges that are out, like, don't confuse a marketing strategy with a business model. Right. Right? Exactly. That's what people have done. Right? Groupons and those challenges, like, those can all be good. Like, you need ways for people to enter your business. Right. Um, but you have to have a plan in place to keep them after those things Absolutely. Run out. And you can't, um, very few businesses can be successful with just one way of doing things. Um, one way of getting people in the door, one way of retaining, you, you have to have options. And so many people see these fly by night solutions as their saving grace. And, and honestly, like more often than not, it's a bandaid. It's a bandaid because they can't retain. It's a bandaid because they're not actually as good a, of a coach as they think they are. So their athletes leave. And, and let's be honest, athletes bullshit you. Athletes will be like, Oh, sorry, my schedule got busy. Well, what they're not telling you is you suck. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, I know that's not very nice and probably not a good way to end this, but yeah, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, People aren't going to tell you why they're leaving, truthfully. Very, very few yeah. people will. So if you're noticing a lot of people leaving, like, the problem's you, and you've got to figure that out. Don't get more people. Figure out why people are leaving first. Right. Right? You can't just pour water into a bucket with a hole in it. Um, so, yeah, like Tom said, don't dilute it. Don't don't undersell yourself. Um, but at the same time, don't oversell yourself, I guess. All right. All right. No lightning round, right? Because. No, I want you to do lightning round. <sighs> I want you to. I want to hear. I want people to hear your answer. We'll do three questions. Okay, fine. All right. Word from our sponsors, and we'll get back to the lightning round. No word from our sponsor. We're our own sponsors today, actually. Right. So, uh, this is what we're just gonna say to you: if uh, if you want to talk to us about some business advice, we're gonna take the first ten people that email us, yep. um, and we're gonna do a fifteen or twenty minute consult with you for free. Uh, depending on what you want help with, you'll maybe talk to one of us or both of us. Yep. Um, so just go ahead and shoot Tom at the strengthagenda.com an email. You must have the subject line, talk to me. Otherwise we won't, um, we won't respond we'll not respond. to be jerks, but we're, we're probably gonna get a lot of emails. So yeah. the first 10 that say, talk to me at Tom at the strengthagenda.com. Just in case you weren't tired of hearing enough of our voices, you get 20 more minutes of our voice if you need the help. Time at the strength agenda. Shoot us a message. Cool. So, Light, lightning round. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I didn't know we were doing that. I'm not. Uh, she wasn't she ready. She wasn't ready. Okay. Lightning round. First one. <sighs> There's one person in the entire history of the world you can walk up to and kick them in the shin. No repercussions. Who is it and why? I can't say it on a recording. Um, Besides me. No, it's not you, but it's someone we know in real life. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> Please don't say that. I won't. Uh, okay, who else would I? I'd kick Kanye. <laughs> Not a bad choice, honestly. Um, 
Oh, I'm terrible with this. Can we pass and come back no? to that? No, fine. You better come back to it, though, because I want a good one. All right. You're a WWE wrestler. What's your uh, What's your name? What's your walkout music? Oh, dang. Um, okay. I don't know if this is a thing, if I can make this a thing, because I don't want to seem like a uh, macho man here, Randy Savage, but I think I would be Quiet Savage, because I think people would not anticipate it, and then, dang, I would just, like... Okay, what's your song? Rail the blows on people. Okay, what's, what's your song? My That's the most important. song, I... Can I pass again? I no, <laughs> you passed on two. Come on. Oh, it'd have to be something Kesha. Fair enough. Kesha it is. Kesha, Kesha is. like from her recent album. There you go. Good. Yeah. That'll, that'll, that'll put butts from in the seats. From the Rainbow album, yeah. That'll put butts in the seats. Um, next question. You could eliminate one state from the union. It's a, it's a map. And each state is a button. Indiana. We don't even have to finish <laughs> the conversation. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> hate Indiana. I hate driving through Sorry, it. Ben and Jess. Yeah, sorry to my friends that live there, but you have the worst state on the planet. It really is painful to drive through, yeah. both north and south and east and west. I've done both multiple times. It's horrendous. Well, uh, right. I just want to get to Michigan. Stop getting in my way, Indiana. Next question. Going back. I don't even remember. What did I ask? Oh, Who kicking people in the shin. Yeah. Oh, man. I got another one for you, but I want this one answered. Come on, girl. Um... Like no, a, okay, I know we're not supposed to really get political here, but I would have to kick President Trump in the shins. I'm sorry. Oh, Jesus. You wanted me to answer. All right, we're not going into the lot. <laughs> um, next question. Next question. Who's winning in a fight? Spider-Man or Batman? Not Superman. Me. Um, no, no, you're not winning. You're a superhero. I, Who's winning? I know you it's just, tough because it's, I've edited every podcast we've done, so I know everyone else's answers, and I think I'm going to have to side with Zach Riley. I think they're both punks. All right. I th- well, actually, I think Spider-Man's... I think he's a bitch. And Whoa! I, I, I would guess children. if... I, I'd have to... If I have to, I'd have to pick Batman, but I I don't really get Batman. Like... Okay. I just... I don't understand. Like, he's which, kind of a douche, but he just has some money, and he takes advantage of Alfred, and I'm just... <laughs> Superheroes from a woman's perspective, ladies and gentlemen. All right, last question. Any, if you were to pick, a you know who'd win, Star Lord. Star Lord, probably. That's not the question, though. <laughs> Dang, I said no. Tell everyone died in that last movie. Made me go see the Avengers one. Yeah, wow. I want to talk about it. All right, she was re- she was really upset about the end of that movie. I explained to her how it ends, though. Really, so it's all better now. Anyways, last question. Pick a color. And if you were to be any color in a box of Crayola crayons, I don't know how many they're up to now, like 192 or whatever. Yeah, they have to finish your question. What color are you going to be? I'm going to be white. Whoa. The color. <laughs> oh. <laughs> don't. Don't do that. No, because, oh, man, I just love the freshness of white, like, as, like. Like linen? Like white linen? I love, like, I love white towels. I love white sheets. But, and like. why do you have three to... dogs? They're white, aren't they? Two of them are. Anyway. White to me is just like a canvas, man. Like it is like, it is, I feel like it is the most creative color. It is just asking you to. Were you one of those kids? Were you one of those kids in school that would like make the big white blotch on the paper and then color over it with like a pencil? No, I think the white crayon itself is actually pretty useless. But like white, I mean, honestly, like I got lots of colors I love, but like white white as a color is just one of my favorite. Like it is just. All right. I don't know. I mean, I always loved Cerulean because I just thought it was a cool name. And, of course, everyone loved the macaroni and cheese grand, but 
I don't think those just really embody the spirit, Tom. Slowly. I could get behind Sorolia. All right. Plug time since it's us. We're going to plug our <laughs> stuff. Um, any, this is awkward. This is awkward. Uh, at Instagram, at The Strength Agenda. Mm-hmm. Website, www.thestrengthagenda.com. Facebook, our page, The Strength Agenda. YouTube, you guessed it, The Strength Agenda. Oh, yeah. Check out our YouTube. We got some good stuff on We have there. a big we exercise. Don't talk about it a yeah, we don't talk about it a ton, but it's mostly just an exercise library that we just update. Uh, oh, it's much more than that. But um, we put some other stuff up there from time to time. Yeah, but you know, uh, this again, podcast, leave a, oh, leave a yeah. review. We never ask for reviews. Yeah, we never ask for reviews. So, so do, now we're that. Gonna do that. So leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast. Let us know if you guys have any other questions. We include them on the top of the shows, and if we get a ton of them focused on the same subject, we do this. So shoot us your questions. Ask us yeah. whether it's Instagram. I don't I don't think Tom will ever let me come back, but I would love to come back. So if you have more questions, maybe people are just gonna, you, girl. Maybe people are just gonna kick me off and just say we need just, yes, just a Beth solo session. Beth show. Um where's your Instagram so people can see dogs and flowers um, and art projects that you post? All right. I'm Pretty straightforward at Beth Soroka, S R O K A. Thanks for that awesome last name. Um, yeah, I mostly post a lot about wine, uh, gardening, and dogs. Um, but I like to think I'm pretty funny. I once posted an entire chain with a text scammer on oh my, my Insta story. That was amazing. Where basically, long story short, I was trying to, he thought I was going to be donating organs to pay for his scam. But yeah. uh, pretty entertaining stuff. Yeah. Um, most of it's pretty useless, though. So. And I'm at, I am Tom Soroka. I post a lot of stuff for the gym and my own personal training adventure stuff along that. But the biggest one is the gym. Check out at the Strength Agenda um, and all our stuff that we have. We have a, in the link in bio. We have a little uh, link that you click, and it has all of our services that you can access, the podcast, Train Heroic, everything. Thank you very much for all the questions we got on this episode. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Beth, thanks for tolerating me, guys. Beth, thank you for doing this one with me. And until next time, take care, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Strength Agenda Radio. Be sure to visit strengthagendaradio.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover exclusive offers and resources for our listeners. Until next time, train hard, lift heavy.